0: Thank you for joining us for our 10th episode of In the Open. Our guest today is Devante Sykes. Devante has a background as an IT manager and a tech specialist. He's a graduate of the IBM Summit program and currently a customer success manager and architect. But before we welcome Devante, let's say hello to my co-host, Joe Seppi. Hey, Luke. Well, hello, Joe. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Nobody likes a complainer. I always say I could complain, but yeah, no one wants to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) They got their own problems.
1: Yeah. How's the weather been by you?
0: It's been rainy, but I I don't mind that. I like the rain. I like it cloudy. I'm always hiding from the sun anyway. Less Mm -hmm. sunscreen.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been a little bit stormy out here. It's actually sunny right now and and nice, but lots of big puddles. And hot. Not like Pacific Northwest hot, but close. 103 feels like kind of stuff. and. That's hot. That's hot.
2: Yeah, yeah. But
1: anyway. Let's welcome our guest from Hotlanta,
2: Devante. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Good, how are you? you? I'm doing great. (laughs) How's the weather down there, huh? It's not too bad. It's actually been raining more than normal here. It's usually pretty dry during the summer months, but. Yeah, it's been raining almost every day. So it's been kind of, you know, dreary and, and gloomy outside, but you still have to figure out ways to stay engaged, stay happy, and just enjoy yeah. life. The plants, all the flowers and the trees and the plants
1: love the rain. That's what I always remind myself. You right. Know, <laughs> worse. I, well, I used to live in Olympia, Washington, and it rained like eight or nine months out of the year, but summer was gorgeous and just lush mm. and so nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we start things off by maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Devante.
2: Yeah, so I can give a brief introduction. Once again, my name is Devante Sykes. I'm a customer success manager at IBM. I've been at IBM now for almost three years. But before coming on board, I always grew up interested in technology, interested in computers. My father, he was an IT architect for CSX, the transportation company, a railroad company. So, um, you know, a lot of his uh, teachings and the things that I learned were, were from him and just being introduced to it very early on. And it developed into me going off to college, the University of Central Florida, graduated with a Bachelor of Science in IT. From there, I worked for startups. I worked for other large corporations. And I also worked in the public sector for a school district down in Jacksonville, Florida, which is home for me. And there, I gained a lot of experience and I had the ability to be my IT manager, where I was in charge of about... Five or six technicians, and we went out and handled all hardware, software, and networking issues for the schools that were assigned to us. Just learning continuously throughout my life. Technology was always there, and it developed into me coming onto IBM.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I the school stuff I find fascinating because I see a lot of like schools and other similar institutions just really. A lot of them have trouble with tech and, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, you're seeing that as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of people from the generations a little bit older than mine have some difficulty adjusting to technology, right? Because of the speed. That it's being developed at, and the amount of technology that we have today it goes back to Moore's law. Things get faster, quicker, and things improve almost every two years. So it's pretty hard for those who haven't grown up with technology to be able to, you know, adapt to it. And um, I think that was one of the, you know, biggest things that stood out to me when I was in that role. At the lower level, of, at a very foundational level, I realized that I was essentially helping people and with technology. And that was all has always been my life goal is just to help people. And any avenue that I can take to do that is my mission. So once I realized what I was doing at a very foundational level, it made everything else so much easier because I can put myself in those uh, folks' shoes and really empathize with them and say, yeah, it's really not that hard to understand. So let me break it down to you in layman's terms and not the, technol- the technology jargon that we use every day, where it's these big terms and acronyms and stuff like that, where a common person is not going to know any of that.
0: Yeah, especially in a school setting, right? Obviously, there's probably some computer science teachers here and there, but it's actually an interesting analog for the real world in that you have customers who really don't care about how it's done, but they need that service. The other thing that comes to mind right now, there's so much in the news about ransomware against Mm. like even relatively small school districts. And with the public sector stuff, they have to publish all their financials. So they really get targeted. They say like, hey, we know you have this money. We can see it on the books.
2: Exactly. And and that's one of the biggest things. So someone coming in with a, a technology mindset can help out in these instances and really help the people making the decisions make a proper decision based on what's happening and what's occurring. And I think a lot of people have that misconception that technology folks don't know how to communicate. They're awkward people where I don't think that's the case. I think what we need is an opportunity to really express ourselves in our space. And that's why I go back to really honing in and figuring out like, hey, I'm essentially helping someone and this is what I love to do. So it makes it easier for me to be engaged, be social, be active and things of that nature.
0: We have a question from one of our friends and colleagues, uh, Steve Martinelli. He wants to know, what's your favorite, most memorable example of helping someone with technology?
2: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, it ties back to the kids, right? So my favorite and most memorable experience to this date is while I was working in Duval County Public Schools, I was a robotics uh, teacher for uh, Lake Forest Elementary. And in that course, I was helping kids learn the basic foundational skills and information around robotics. And we built little figures out of Legos and built motors and things of that nature. So it always goes, like I said, it goes back to helping people. And then I really want to bridge that gap, especially in the communities that I come from where these kids aren't scared to venture off into technology. And really dive deep into it and understand, hey, I I can make this one of my passions along with whatever else that I want to do. Like for myself, I work in technology day to day during the day. But also at night, I produce music. And I know, Joe, we talked about that a little bit. You have a band. And I think it's just cool to see that people are multidimensional and not just one thing. And that's what I really want these kids to, to understand. And you can be cool and you can be smart and that's the best thing that you can give to them.
1: Yeah, and I, I find that fascinating too, the multifaceted, multidimensional kind of aspect. We're all humans. And I feel that's one of the things at IBM, I mean, at most places that I've worked, but particularly it seems at IBM that, you know, it's a great way to get to know your colleagues and to bond further and, and to really develop that rapport. And then it works great when you're, you need help with something, people are, are, are there for you because you've got this bond already because you find out more about people and dig a little deeper and get to know people more.
2: Exactly. Because we're not robots. We're not just working IBMers 24-7. Like We have our own lives. We have families. Uh, we have other interests outside of our day-to-day job. And it just, like you said, it makes you more human to other people. And having that experience working with the kids, having that experience working in the school district, it translates directly into what I do right now and helping clients because I don't open the conversation up with, this is what IBM can sell you. And this is what we offer. No, I open the conversation up with, hey, how are you doing? What are you interested in? This is what I'm interested in. Do we share some similarities there? How can I relate to you? Like it's very much it's, it's, it's much more of a relationship type of management and really understanding emotional intelligence um, is a big part of what I do.
0: Yeah. uh, Just to echo back to the the kids from my own experience growing up, it's amazing how even if they don't necessarily go into the technology, just like having that exposure, it takes away that fear, because especially now, even if you're not a developer or a, a technician, your job is going to touch this. Uh, in some way like technology and if you're scared of it and you don't know and you can't have if you're not savvy it's really rough so i feel the more we can do to expose those who are coming up in the you know educational system to all these things and feed those interests and I, i try to do this with myself as well Is like when you have that interest like you need to feed it because even having that interest and that like excitement about something is like that in itself is a prize because you don't always have that about everything.
2: Definitely, and I like the, the point that you were making about feeding your interest, and it kind of ties back to. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Pharrell Williams, but he has this term called kid adult. So kid and adult. So it's like feeding your inner child. And I feel as a child, I was very adventurous. I wanted to figure things out. I wanted to learn new things all the time. And just cultivating that and keeping that same energy as you progress to being a a grown adult is very important because your interests are important. They, They keep you alive. They keep you engaged. They keep you moving forward. And you always you're always more more inclined to share the information that you learn from being super interested in a certain subject. One of those things for me was like blockchain. I stumbled upon blockchain around 2016, 2017, and I looked at it and I, and I said, wow, this is something that can really help like the world and not just a certain group of people. And that childlike curiosity developed in me to dig deeper and find out what cryptocurrencies are and Bitcoin, and then look at more open source technologies like Ethereum, and just continuously dive deeper in investing and stuff like that being a kidult is something that i refer to myself as <laughs>
1: yeah I, I keep thinking back to uh, luke and i did a, a live stream with john Cohn, and he is like an amazing kidult. his curiosity is just you know overflowing and just always making stuff and building stuff and blowing stuff up and right. really, really interesting character yeah
2: yeah it's a learning process it's that cycle so we don't learn by just sitting down. We learn by actively doing. We learn from our mistakes, our failures. We learn from success as well. We learn from looking at others fail and others succeed. So I think that's a very important you know, topic to even talk about with people because it's, it's one of those things where I think people may overlook the fact that you can still be a kid in your in your current job. You can still be super... Um, interested in the things that you've always dreamed about doing you can still do those things and still have your day job so there's no clear distinction or you don't have to choose a side i say do everything that you possibly can while you're here because if you don't you're going to regret the fact like in the next life or whatever happens after that you're going to regret that you didn't take those uh, chances
1: yeah, it's interesting, as we were coming up to this uh, this live stream during the week, mentally preparing and stuff, I was thinking about how I'm an open source engineer and developer advocate. I've been doing kind of developer advocacy for a long time, just drawn to that community engagement and, and learning and sharing. And Luke does a lot of content production, but is also a developer advocate. And I've heard you describe yourself as having developer advocacy tendencies as well. Sorry about my noise. But I I think that's really interesting that we're all doing different things, but we all relate to that developer advocacy mindset. And Mm -hmm. I think it really does get back to the curiosity, learning, and, and sharing what you learn. I think it's really important. And I think whether you call it developer advocacy or not, like it would be great if more companies encourage that curiosity and that learning?
2: Absolutely. Because for IBM, I support cloud, uh, public cloud technologies. One of my focuses is to put myself in the shoes of a developer. What are their pain points? What are they looking to achieve? What are they looking to build? And even what are their interests outside of their job? So A perfect example of that would be when I had the opportunity to go to KubeCon back in 2019 for the Kubernetes Open Source Foundation. So there I met so many people, so many developers, programmers, architects, systems admin, executive people. And it really opened my eyes to this community specifically for Kubernetes. But overall, the open source community, I didn't know, you know, beforehand how you know huge it was. Uh, my first introduction to open source as a kid probably was Firefox, but I didn't understand the community that was underneath that. I didn't understand open source until Ethereum where I see all these people committing and in engaging to build a platform that could later be usable by big corporations and big businesses and startups alike as well. KubeCon really opened my eyes into this huge network of people that are also interested in other open source projects. And I was introduced to other things after that. And I think if I didn't put myself in the developer's shoes and say, hey, I'm gonna go to this conference where I know these people are, go- are gonna be there, then I probably wouldn't have had that experience. I wouldn't be open to to what I do today and how I engage with them now.
0: I'm a big fan of the the KubeCons. I can't wait till that we come back to in-person. I mean, I've enjoyed right. the, the digital experience, but there, there is something to be said for yeah, building those personal relationships. And like you're saying, expanding your horizon. You had mentioned when we were doing our prep call, you had built a chat bot and it was part of the summit program, like your final. And so maybe we could start with that and then you can back us into what was the summit program and what was that experience like?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. My final uh, project for the IBM summit program which is a, a sales training program. I came into the program as a technical specialist. So I was the the tech the technology expert on the team, and I was tasked to build a uh, Watson chatbot for the team. And what I utilized in my research and trying to figure out, like, how, how am I going to tackle like this feat. I've probably never really dug too deep into development work, into programming work besides my courses in college. So I stumbled upon the IBM developer website and doing some research there. I looked at tutorials, I looked at videos, I read articles, and then I found this space on the site called Code Patterns, and inside of the that space were the code patterns that I used for the Watson chatbot. So it was I used it as my starter kit, basically. So it was a web-based chatbot with voice input and output, and I leveraged it. I figured out how it worked. There were uh, steps on how to use it, and I deployed uh, that chatbot to the IBM Cloud, actually. And this was before I ended up joining an IBM Cloud team, and that chatbot was used to onboard brand new summits into the Atlanta Hub specifically. Onboard them. What do you What do you have to do in the first three months? The first first six months of being in the summit program. Where do you find your HR resources? Where do you find interesting groups to join with inside of IBM? How do you find out about travel rules and regulations back when we could travel? (laughs) And just those types of things were embedded in that chatbot. And all of the people that used it said that it was super helpful for them because if they couldn't get in touch with a manager, they could use the chatbot 24-7 on demand. And that was the type of value that I wanted to bring to the program And I actually helped and advised a a few other summits to building chatbots as well for their hubs. So it was a cool experience. I'm thankful for the code patterns because that made my life so much easier. (laughs) And I'll definitely be using them in the future. Absolutely.
0: I love that story. And we actually, we have another question from coming from YouTube here. Devante, where did your love for sharing knowledge derive from?
2: I think... That's an interesting question. I think it really comes from family, especially my family. We have a tendency to share knowledge through stories and experiences, and this is where that interest developed. I learned from my grandfather, who just received a, an award from the state of Georgia for an exceptional school employee. He was only one of, of of two people to receive that award for the whole entire state of Georgia. He'll go on to get Uh, national recognition, hopefully as well. So learning from him, super hardworking, never scared to learn new things from my father, same type of mindset, going and getting after it, never settling for no, never settling for I can't. And, you know, he kind of lives by these 10 two letter words. And he says, if it is to be, it is up to me. And I, I live by that for sure. And then my mother, she's probably the most hardworking person that I know. She obtained her bachelor's degree a few years ago. She's moving up in, in her role right now. She works for the Jacksonville Transportation Authority. And just having these types of people around me and my extended family, too, just having those types of people around me really molded me and they taught me the importance of giving back, sharing knowledge. And that's why I decided to participate in the robotics teaching course for the kids. That's why I always send stuff that I learn through my role or through independent study, I send it to my friends, you know, I send it to my family because I want people to be aware of what's going on. And even things like when it comes to data privacy, I have a a sense that a lot of people don't understand Uh, what's going on behind uh, the platforms that they're using. And I want to educate people on that. So they make educated decisions on how they use those platforms and make it to their benefit and not to their detriment.
1: That's interesting. I'd like to dig into that a little bit further. I feel like though, Luke, should we do some housekeeping and mention podcasts and stuff like that and then get back into it? I, I think so. That's a great idea, Joe. We're here live streaming on video, but you can catch
0: all of our past episodes on IBM.biz forward slash in the open. And then all of these episodes are also published as podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. And you can find uh, the, the link is on that other page as well, but there's a direct link to the podcasts. And we also have a variety of other interesting podcasts on IBM Developer. We've got special series on app modernization, on Tech for Good Initiative, Call for Code. And we have a data science podcast that's it's been dormant for the past year that we're about to reboot and i'm really excited about that and we'll be uh, as those episodes come out we'll be sharing those here as well
1: don't forget to smash the subscribe button as the kids say right yes please <laughs> smash that like <laughs> and, subscribe button. and yes thank you yeah yeah always gotta promote so yeah i'm curious security is really an interesting topic these days what what how does that fit into your work and what?
2: I don't know. T- t- tell me more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we think about cloud, essentially all cloud is having someone else manage your infrastructure, manage your platforms, manage your software. When you explain it that way, there's a security concern that comes into play, right? So if I'm having someone else manage my uh, infrastructure for me, what does that mean? How do I secure it? Who has access to it? Where is it? For one, companies and people alike are are very interested in how they can secure the information and data that sits on these systems that are not on-prem. And um, we categorize this as cloud security, very broad, but there's a lot of different pillars that fall into cloud security where you have key management services to protect your keys. You have different types of things like firewalls, obviously, but the benefit with cloud is the fact that you can stand these things up in an automated way without having to have the skills on-prem or inside of your organization. And we always have to have conversations around GDPR, even though we know that is a European regulation. There are similar regulations coming coming forth within the entire United States. So California has a Data Privacy Act that people should be familiar with, and the companies that operate out of California are familiar with that. But I believe that similar regulations will come forth from other states once they figure out, how do we tackle this? And my job is to help companies get ahead of that. So we just saw this hack that happened with Colonial Pipeline that affected the Southeast region, and especially my my territory because they operate here and how detrimental that was and there's been other attacks since then security is is super important i understand that some of those hackers were able to get information whether it was usable or not just the fact that they were able to get it so data privacy is super important
1: Yeah, there's so many angles to that, right? The data breach stuff, there's access to the controls and whatnot. And and I'm even reminded, too, the whole GitHub co-pilot thing, which is really fascinating and I think a really interesting product. People obviously have questions about it. And I saw somebody... Was able to like write some code in a way that prompted the the GitHub Copilot thing to output somebody else's secrets and and passwords. it's like okay, <laughs> you know, there's just so many different ways that your security can be opened up and, and yep. you can be vulnerable. It's really interesting. Exactly. So that's definitely a place if people are looking to get involved in technology. That's going to be more and more important every year. I'm curious to hear more about your kind of day-to-day work and mm-hmm. your customer success manager. Obviously, I think you wear many hats as a technical specialist, but I'm curious what your day-to-day is like, particularly working with customers and particularly like around the open source angle
2: as well. My main focus is to help IBM clients deploy IBM Cloud Packs. So these are prepackaged software collections that sit on top of Red Hat OpenShift. And uh, we know that Red Hat OpenShift is really just Kubernetes under the covers. So these cloud packs can be utilized in, in a multitude of ways, right? So we have a cloud pack for security that gives you a collection of security products. We have a cloud pack for integration which helps you with uh, messaging and really putting your systems together and integrating them in a well-oiled type of way. We also have Cloud Pack for data. So these are more of the AI types of solutions, really being able to collect data, digest it, determine insights from them, and really build out a deeper understanding of your customer, uh, of your products, and how do you develop new products and new services for your customers so that's my main focus underneath that is understanding ibm cloud and the other cloud vendors aws azure and gcp obviously we know that cloud packs can be deployed on-prem ibm cloud competitor clouds so i have to be able to understand and communicate these types of things uh, to the customer and uh, one of the main things with IBM cloud as far as open source goes is understanding devops this is something that i talk about with developers all the time is utilizing our ci cd uh, pipelines, utilizing Jenkins, understanding how to deploy, how to edit your code within side of the IBM cloud is super important. And I don't think a lot of people realize the fact that IBM was a, a very heavy contributor to the Eclipse platform, which was utilized for programming and development. And just giving them a history of the fact that we understand where you are. We, we just want to help you get to that next level. And uh, that's pretty much what I do every day. I'm talking to developers. I'm talking to the systems guys, infrastructure, and I'm even having those uh, types of conversations with the executive suite as well. More of the strategic direction and the future uh, direction of the company as far as just the technology goes. So finding out any type of future use cases they have, whether they want to infuse AI into what they do more to get more value and maybe... They don't have to hire as many people to get things done if they have AI there. It's just full breadth of understanding the technical stuff, absolutely, but also understanding the tr- strategic side. So that's where the business skills, soft skills, interpersonal skills come into play.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And there's so much there. We could dive off into all sorts of different directions. I, I never hesitate, though, to, to just reiterate that I, I feel having joined IBM like five years ago, people are always surprised at how much we actually do in open source. And and I feel like yeah. you know, we do a lot and we've been doing it for years. So I always encourage folks to check out that link there and see some of the backstory, some of the current work. IBM Cloud is built on top of open source technologies, as you were exactly. I'm curious, so you had mentioned like working with executives and such, do you find that people are, have some hesitancy to open source at times? And if so, how do you approach that conversation?
2: I would say it definitely depends. There are organizations that are well on their journey, organizations that have people who have those skills, those open source skills, they don't really... They're not, I guess they're not scared to go down that journey because they have the expertise and the people on board to to handle the project. I do see a little bit of hesitancy from uh, the people who don't have the skills on hand, and that's where they can lean a little bit more on on IBM and our full breadth of solutions and services, right? So we have teams of, of folks who can help you out in doing deployments and getting you up to speed and enabled on certain technologies as well. So that's part of what I do is continuously teaching. I I do presentations, I do demos, I do proof of concepts to prove out hypotheses and and getting to a success point. I see, like I said, I see more of the hesitancy from the organizations that don't have the skills, but we always alleviate that concern by expressing what we can provide from IBM standpoint to help the customer. And we go back again to, essentially, I'm just helping people. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Ahead,
0: so I was going to say we have a lot of activity in the the chat. Thanks for that. I'm doing a little bit of that correspondence. But if anybody has any other questions, uh, feel free to to forward them on. But I, I thought I would just bubble this up here. We have a thank you. They folks are really enjoying this, uh, and they love digging in and, and learning how the the world's works. Thank uh, that's- you. That's how I view this too. I'm always like, even if it's something that's not my core interest, it's I'm like, oh man, this is how the world works. Like right. <laughs> about mainframes or high performance computing or the food trust, the food security, like exactly. blockchain. Oh man, this is actually we can peer under the covers. Enterprise tech is actually very interesting.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and it has a foundation in the community, right? So like Joe said, IBM has a long history of Being very large contributors to these communities and really fostering that. And, you know, the fact that that's the case for IBM, I think it allows us to stand out in the marketplace and stand out as a whole as an organization. So just continuously keeping that mantra when I interact with my clients, developers, even people I don't even communicate with or sell to. I always try to network on LinkedIn. I always try to go to conferences and meetups locally just to to hear what people are doing. I'm interested in in people and just learning about what they do, what they're interested in. And I feel like taking those tidbits of information as I go just makes me a better person and it it makes me better in my role.
1: I'm looking forward to having in-person conferences again. I know the U.S. is different than elsewhere, so... um, Mm -hmm. Uh, understanding of that fact, but I may be down in Atlanta later this year for the Connect Tech conference. So if I do, I I will definitely look you up and want to hang out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Yeah.
1: So what, what are you, what are you excited about in terms of the work that you're doing and the near future of what's going on in tech?
2: Yeah, I think I'm really excited about really making my brand and my name known here right now. I'm working on trying to prove out some controls with some of our industry leaders for energy and utilities, trying to prove out some controls around NERC SIP compliance. So working on that and doing some interesting things around that. This is a a side project. This isn't even my day-to-day job, but I was called upon by the, the ENU industry leaders to help out. And I'm having fun with that, staying interested, staying engaged and figuring out ways that I can add value to the organization because I I know that it'll come back to me tenfold. So that that type of thing stands out to me. I'm super interested in NFTs right now. (laughs) So trying to understand that, how do I add value? Because I create art as well. So how do I take advantage of the NFT platforms And and minting my work and being able to distribute it that way from independently. So a lot of producers, they go down the major label type of approach or they do work for hires and things like that, which I've also done. I have credits with Vice Network, the, the TV channel. I've had some productions on there as well as uh, Dateline NBC. But I also want to distribute my own stuff just with my name on it that doesn't, that isn't attached to, you know, anything. And I think NFTs can be something that I can utilize. And then outside of that is really just going back to eventually becoming a well known teacher and educator within the technology space. I really want to bridge that gap and show people that, for one, it's cool to be smart. And then two, just showing them that you can have your day job and have your your passions there, but you can also pursue your secondary passions and goals as well while you're doing your day job.
1: That's great. Yeah. It's funny because we're all musicians, Luke, as well. And I'm compelled to talk to you more about that and ask you about, you know, what you're using and what what your process is and stuff. But I don't know if if we want to go down that route, but that's where my brain's going.
0: Let's time block it. Let's just give ourselves like four or five minutes to go down that route. And then we can we'll come back to to Enterprise Tech.
1: What are you doing? What are you using? How's it going?
2: Yeah, so I mostly produce R&B and hip hop type of records. Um, so I use FL Studio and I use Ableton Live. Those two platforms, both pieces of software, they're relatively different, but they all do essentially the same thing. Just the buttons are in different places. But the cool things about that is the fact that I'm actually marrying both of my skills, right? So you have to have some type of technical prowess to use that those pieces of software because they're Technical and they, they were developed by developers, obviously. Being able to understand that and still exercise that skill while also creating art is the best of both worlds to me. And I've gotten a lot of value out of it. That was probably my first time, you know, ever like first starting out whenever I was younger, a teenager, that was probably my first time ever figuring out how to hack something, utilizing those softwares and and being able to continuously utilize them is is super important to me because it offers me some peace and it offers me a way to express myself outside of what I do every day.
0: I also use Ableton Live. I'm a big fan of it. And prior to to using Ableton, I was using the Max MSP. Mm -hmm. So if folks are, are not familiar with this, it's like Node Red or Simulink. It's a data flow visual programming language, but for audio, MIDI, video, 3D, and Ableton, it's kind of cool. Ableton bought that company, even though they already had a relationship. And it was good because it was a small company. It probably wasn't going to be able to go. I think it was run by the the guy retired. He wanted to retire. So it it needed a home. Mm. And you can build custom modules within Ableton, your own audio, video, MIDI plugins or instruments. And so I just, I'm a huge fan of that. And I'll, I'll cut this short, but my story is I used, so there was this a thing from Tribeca Film Festival a couple of years ago called Watson Beat, which we use like machine oh, learning, yeah, yeah. right? You yep. could submit a little MIDI clip to this algorithm and tell it you're like, hey, here's a melody. I want a, a beat. I want a, a baseline and I want a, a harmony and it'll give you back th- this stuff as MIDI. So I built a little tool in Max to process that wow. and then it would like create all these different tracks. And I, I call it Lucernetti's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then our, our colleague, I was showing it to our colleague, Mark Mattingly Scott in in Germany. And he's like, oh, I know the guys at Ableton. You should go show them. Wow. So we went over to Ableton. I got to present this whole little project I did to them. We went out for beers and stuff. And it, it was just a cool day. And they were like, I told them the story because actually the way I met my wife was we were both involved in the same sort of college program. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to do an art project. And then she needed to use Maximus P for it. I was like, I know how to use Max MSP. Let me and that was our wow. first date was me tutoring my wife. And the folks from Ableton were like, that is the nerdiest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> that you make you make a move on your wife with max MSP. That was your line. Oh, I could show you that Max MSP. It worked. It worked. Happily married
2: right. 10 years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the value you get out of teaching people, right? So yeah.
1: <laughs> Building connections, relationships, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great. How about you, Joe? What's your, your DAW of choice? I So I'm like a musician with guitars and bass and drums and like hands-on stuff. And so I grew up in recording studios with two-inch Ooh. tape machines and old school stuff. And so I naturally made the jump to like Pro Tools and not to not Pro Tools, but I got tired of needing to really upgrade all the time and <laughs> buying something. And then a year later, I'm like, oh, now that's old. I don't know... And I, gotta, I need a specific machine to run it. Anyway, so I just started using Logic. And especially as like a singer, songwriter, a uh, person, like to be able to jump in there and just throw things together pretty quickly. That's been a comfortable space for me. But I'm fascinated with sequencers and and building more electronic music. So I've been dabbling with that. and But still just more in the Logic Pro space. But it's fun. I love it. Love it.
0: Last point. Logic has also, they've basically copied Ableton's model now too, by putting the sort of sequencer slash timeline model. Yeah. So I feel like it's, uh, I don't want to say they copied it. Sometimes these things, it's just the natural, they did copy it, but it's the natural evolution. <laughs> of, it's a good. It's a good way. It gives you that real time. Yeah but then also the linear. Let's parlay back into our enterprise tech conversation, unless (laughs) anybody has any uh, closing thoughts. Bruce Bradley here commented he loved the aspects of security we were discussing, and he wanted to maybe delve into and and learn more. And what I just wanted to mention there was from our last episode, we had Chris Ferris on, and he had mentioned this, the Open Source Security Foundation, because... It is a big, it's a big concern, right? O- open source, people contributing to projects that are then being used downstream for in companies or in products. And yep. security is a big issue with open source. And, and we've got to monitor that. We've got to make sure. Oh, we got m- more comments. You're very, you've, I think you're our most popular guest as far as activity in the chat this, uh, this episode. <laughs> oh, I,
2: see, I see a comment from my aunt. <laughs> hey, Tif- <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, Tiffany. hey
1: tiffany oh that's great but yeah it's interesting it goes back to the question earlier too of how do you talk to executives and a variety of folks at companies about open source because i think they get worried about that right out of the Mm gate, security and and you know if i put my code online then everybody's going to know how to hack me but that's not really the case but i think having security in mind is is really uh very important
2: yeah, absolutely. Even just think about the fact that we have a Kubernetes service that we manage for um, our customers on the IBM cloud. And we go back to the fact, just like you said, Joe, the security concern. So if IBM is managing the the service for the customer and the customer is just utilizing it, IBM has the expertise to do patching to handle any of the security concerns for the customer and just allowed the customer to focus on building with the service and utilizing the service and consuming the service. So these are the types of concerns that will obviously continuously be there, but there are ways that we've alleviated them and there are solutions that we've come up with that address those specific types of issues. Yeah. And I think that gets back
1: to the OpenShift thing too. OpenShift is essentially a Kubernetes a managed Kubernetes platform, but it's built using battle tested conventions and techniques and stuff. And so that's, I think, one of the benefits that you get from using a, a platform like that is not that you don't have to worry about security at all, obviously, but some of the basic stuff is is already baked
2: into the platform overall. Exactly. And then you also get the support factor as well. So when something does happen, there's a team of people there that can help you out in your time of need. Wrapping all of that together is super important. And I think that's why companies are understanding that they can take that leap of faith because there's some cushion there for their fall if there was a fall to ever happen. So yeah, it's definitely just getting into the psychology of people and just making them feel comfortable.
1: Yeah. So we have got another question here, and from our buddy Steve, I'm not sure if you're allowed to say which favorite. You know, what which, which <laughs> favorite to work with, uh, but that I'm curious as well. And yeah, any open source project you think that's exciting for the future of the space.
2: Yeah, so I think my favorite company that I've worked with or a customer that I've worked with so far was probably Delphix. So Delphix, they're over in uh, California and they actually have a service that they've built and put onto uh, the IBM cloud that can be consumed by other groups of people. And they're an interesting bunch. They have a pretty solid team and they were consuming things like our virtual servers on the IBM Cloud and doing creative things with them and utilizing them for their infrastructure and and things of that nature. So that was probably my favorite customer because I learned a lot from them, even just from interacting with them as far as what they do, what they're interested in and how they see their company moving forward. I guess as far as any insight into an open source project that I think will pop next. Right now, I'm pretty pretty big on Ethereum, to be honest. It's just the fact that, yeah, it's a, a blockchain platform, absolutely. But they just released, not too long ago, their 2.0 platform and the ability to have faster transactions for their platform, but also the fact that people are developing applications on Ethereum as well, which they call the DApps. So the dApps. And I think that's a cool thing because it's not just a one purpose or sole purpose type of platform. It just allows people to really get engaged and be a community and really build the entire Ethereum platform up together. And we know blockchain is super focused on going back to security, that trust factor, being able to look at the transactions that happen on the platform from end to end. And knowing that the whole journey is secure from end to end as well is is super important. Just going back to the the security concern and addressing that, I think Ethereum could be one of those types of technologies further down the line that has a, a big impact on what we do.
1: Yeah, I really think blockchain gets a bad rap. It's been around for a little bit and there was a lot of hype and everybody likes to hate
2: on blockchain. <clears throat> yeah, because of the cryptocurrencies, what happened with that type of stuff? But
1: Yeah, but I, I really do agree with you, though. I really feel like it's still something that's coming into its own and it's going to really make a large impact in, in the future for sure.
0: And I think when it was just securities in the beginning and then you got into that sort of second wave with Ethereum, I feel like the stuff that's happening now from a developer standpoint is so interesting because, sure, it's tokenized and they can have value, but you're like – there are these whole development projects that are made to do these like very specific things. Like I'm going down like Cardano and Polkadot and yeah, all these yeah. rabbit holes. It's really interesting. I think it's worth looking at if you're interested in tech and development because these things are not just uh, securities. They're entire development projects which have these like use cases. So it's a lot of fun to to dig around. And I would say Steve said thank you. He he enjoyed uh, your answer no <laughs> as well as the 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 session.
2: Yeah, so even oh, it's my mom. <laughs> it's my mom. Hi, <laughs> mom. Hi, mom. My mom. Thanks, my mom. mom. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. But even to go back to your to your last point on the fact that these are development projects, we have things like smart contracts, right? So these executable contracts that people can join in on, and at each milestone, so basically the contract is code. It's just software, right? So at each milestone. The contract executes itself and moves on to the next milestone automatically without having to go through so many different hands of people, so many different teams of people. And I see people using smart contracts for real estate. So these are the types of things that are the future. The next wave is just being able to speed up the house, the home transaction process, which we know it can be pretty lengthy at at times like. For instance, myself, it took me like three and a half months to get my home, and I was just sitting there every day. Man, this is crazy. I have to talk to this person, that person. I have to wait on documents to get sent back. I wish there was something, an uh, easier process to this, and smart contracts can be that thing.
1: Yeah, I've been through that process as well. And it's, it's I just want to, I, I will go get that piece of paper and bring it to this other person for you. Let's exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I think that smart contracts and, and everything is really going to continue to come into its own. I have a friend and I can't say too much. I'm not sure where his product is, but he's working on smart contracts, essentially for creative credits, working mm. on projects together and collaborating and making sure people get credits for the work that they're doing and being able to share in profits and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really, there's a lot that we can still be doing there that I think will really kind of modernize some of the work that we're doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because it goes down to transparency, right? I think people want more transparency in everything that we do in society now. People want to know what the government is doing. What are the the social media organizations doing, what are you know other people doing? What are they doing with my data? Everyone wants more transparency. And I think as we move down that path, it'll be a better place. Absolutely.
0: I, I also wanted to mention I the other day, and I'm hoping to get him on as a guest soon, but I, I had a chance to converse with the executive partner uh, of IBM's go to market blockchain. So it's a uh, Shyam Nagarajan. Mm -hmm. And I was aware IBM is uh, deeply involved in Hyperledger fabric. But then from speaking with him, I became aware that like from a a financial services and blockchain standpoint, we do whatever our client needs to do. So we're doing Ethereum contracts, we're doing lots of things, even if it's not necessarily an IBM product or a, a project that we're directly contributing to our financial services covers the gambit. So just thought I'd mention that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even the service that we have that is utilized for the the global payments, I can't remember exactly which currency we're using for it. I think for, it's from st- Stellar, I think we're yeah using. Stellar Stellar Lumens. There you go. Yep. So we're using that under the, under the covers to do global uh, transactions and payments and remittance. We learn from our customers, and they learn from us, and I think that's super valuable. We want to do whatever the customer wants to do, and we're here to help the customer, and that's how we create this positive image of IBM to everyone else because they can go back and say. Hey, IBM really helped me get to the finish line, and this is why I appreciate them.
1: Maybe that's a good place to wrap. Yeah,
0: that was a fantastic conversation. We really appreciate your time, Devante. And yeah, if you're catching this on replay, I'll have all of our uh, contact info in the the show notes. Feel free to send more questions through. And uh, we, th- you know, thank everyone for for tuning in.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks for tuning in, Miss Robinson.
2: Yep. Cheers. Yep, have a good one.